there is a reason as to why we need to see people that look like us in these fields. We're not just saying it for the sake of it. It's because there is that relatability factor of they potentially have gone through some similar hurdles. They have gone through some similar barriers. If you were to sit down and have a discussion with them, you know, you might find that there are some cultural similarities and there's other ways of connecting to that person and their upbringing. It's not just about where they've got to now, it's that whole journey up until the point that they've got to um, that means something to you. Hello and welcome to For The Record, a new podcast series from RCVS Knowledge. For The Record will feature conversations between current and former members of the veterinary professions, highlighting voices and experiences historically underrepresented in our official archive. In this episode, we hear from four veterinary medicine students who responded to our call via the British Veterinary Ethnicity and Diversity Society for black, Asian or minority ethnic students to share their experiences of veterinary education and the profession so far. Together, they discuss their inspirations and motivations for pursuing a career in veterinary medicine, their journeys into vet school and what changes they would like to see in the future. This discussion was recorded in November 2020. Hi, I'm Isabel. I'm fourth year vet student at Bristol University. Hi, I'm Nicole. Um, I'm a final year vet student at Liverpool. Hi, I'm Sana. Um, I'm a fourth year vet med student at Cambridge. Hi, I'm Stephanie Ray and I'm a final year veterinary medicine student at the Royal Veterinary College. Um, so <laughs> just talk a little bit about um, sort of role models and relatability because I think that was something that a lot of us had ended up discussing over the past few months um, so I think a big thing for me was that kind of reflecting upon things now I kind of feel like you are somewhat managing sort of a level of imposter syndrome that not everyone has um, and like in a in a weird way so you kind of feel I think I remember my first thoughts of when I started at RBC I so I grew up in North London um and studied at a very like a mixed comprehensive state school lots of different backgrounds and ethnicities as, as you'd probably expect for north london um and then when i got to rvc it was completely not what i was expecting i think in terms of level of diversity and things but yeah so i always remember going and starting at rvc and then i did some events where i went back to my school and i was still in contact with um, one of the advisors at my school that helped me with getting into vet school and I think one of the first things I said to her was just like I can't see anyone that looks like me like I haven't seen anyone that you know um I can relate to on that level and it's one of those things I feel it's it's quite intrinsic and it's not something that you're always constantly seeking for but there was a level of feeling a bit more of an outsider even though that like I would feel like I'm quite a sociable person I can get on with people quite easily um but there's this kind of like slight discomfort of not seeing people that look like you and whether that's in the student population or within the teaching body as well um and that's always kind of stuck with me a little bit yeah I think I was quite oblivious to that like yeah in that pre-uni years like it's definitely been over like the last two years where I'm literally like I'll be sat in a restaurant or like in a hotel because gone on holiday I'm like every every single person here is white and there's nobody that looks like me yeah but I think I've yeah I happily bumbled through secondary school again in that very protected North London bubble of being in a very diverse school very diverse area but yeah it's only recently really moving up north being in Liverpool where I'm like 
definitely sticking out like a sore thumb. That's interesting because I thought, oh, if I'd gone to another uni, I would have had a completely different experience. But hearing it from you guys as well, I'm like, actually, wherever I went probably would have been the same experience, which is, I don't know mm. if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess it's yeah. kind of yeah. reassuring, but not a nice thought as well. I think I kind of like accepted it in terms of like subconsciously because I always had a feeling like I always kind of knew that vet school wasn't diverse but because like I'd kind of wanted to be a vet since I was like really young it hadn't really crossed my mind that that was a barrier if that makes sense I was just like oh you know that's just the demographic but it doesn't like it's not going to stop me obviously but that's just a different story but I'm I was just like it, it shouldn't impinge on me applying or anything like that like I never felt that that was a reason for me not to yeah I think you're right when you actually go there and stuff it's I mean it's still fine but it it becomes more obvious that as especially as you progress that yeah there actually aren't as many people as you because when you start to have to consider different things or like just certain like for example for me like I wear like a headscarf right and I think maybe you before me one other person has completed like all six years and they have and so you know just simple things that you no one would ever think of but I might have to second guess like oh how do I like scrub in like what what should I wear in surgery like I don't want to be told when I'm like in theatre or coming to theatre like oh you can't wear that like because yes I do wear that and you have to accommodate for me so it's just simple things like this that if you're one of very like few people you kind of it it shouldn't be the case but it's almost like you have to like facilitate that passport like other people people. if if any other people even do happen to come um and just make it more accessible because it's those small things that add up and make it feel like it's not for you yeah yeah I think I I felt like that with probably not on on the same level but like I felt like that with my hair I've always kind of had a bit of a battle being mixed and with like yeah, af- afro hair and stuff and I, I feel like when I stick my scrub cap on, cap on I'm kind of like is this actually gonna fit into the scrub cap it's a bit of a weird feeling yeah um it's just yeah it's like little little things um mm. and I think it's quite good that like you you mentioned things sort of like barriers and stuff it's not it, it definitely doesn't seem like it's a barrier when you're in that pool of people where you're in such a, a melting pot of people and you all kind of are aspiring to do different things anyway. Yeah. Um, and there are different barriers, I think, that you have when you're in school versus to what you're facing then during the vet med programme, um, definitely. Yeah, definitely the hair thing. I was chatting to my um, rotation group about that earlier. It's just little things like just taking the time to think, oh, I'm going to be scrubbing in, so I'm going to like braid my hair or yeah. I'm going to put a riding hat on, so I've got to wear a low pony. And that's like a consideration that can't just happen. Well, it could just happen on the day, but it's a pain in the ass. Um, yeah. But then also, like, it's it's not really a barrier. It's just an inconvenience. And I think a lot of mm. people, when we're then talking about sort of like the barriers in Tibet and Riga, well, you've made it, you've got in. So they aren't That's it, about yeah. Them. But that's not, that's only the start. Yeah. It's not a brick wall, but I'm saying it's a hurdle. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. A there's like different intensities to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think what also doesn't help is that, like, it, it can be quite common, right? Obviously, like, if it's if it's not the demographic, you're less likely to think about it. But for example, people from different walks of life will have different considerations that in the wider community are quite common. So, like you said, for example. 
say you have thicker hair or like afro like hair or you wear a headscarf like you could incorporate these things into like miscellaneous in like the lectures for example like we just recently had a lecture because i'm fourth year um so we're starting to learn about surgery and stuff and we had lectures on like obviously how to scrub up and how to like dress appropriately and they were talking about there was a section on head caps and a section on like beard coverings and i'm just like mm. it would take literally one minute to add in another section for like a different group like different groups of people like say oh if you know you have religious yeah. head coverings like a turban or a headscarf do this or like if you have thicker hair do th consider this like it's so i feel like it's so easy and those make it more open to conversation whereas mm -hmm. if you kind of like struggle in silence and like you said you feel like you're going to stick out then you're more going to be more shy about it and then it'll never get talked about and it's just a vicious yeah. cycle like yeah it's things like that that I think it like affirms that you you feel like you're entering a place or an organization or a body that wasn't constructed with you in mind <laughs> Absolutely. It, it I think it's one of the, it really does and and that's the thing and we're not and it's like you're not asking for much at all really like it's not even just it's it's a minor thing that can be amended and that could be said for a lot of things um, but it does just reaffirm, I think, especially if you are in this sort of identifying as a BAME student, um, especially that um, you're entering spaces that you had a different perception of. And when you get there, yeah, it's not it might not be what you thought it might be um, or you're then exposed to things that you may have not been actually prepared to be exposed yeah. to as well. Um, yeah, I feel like also. I guess, especially at Bristol, the staff aren't particularly diverse. So no one has ever come across that problem before and thought, oh, yeah. maybe we should include this in lecture or I've come across this problem. So this should be addressed, whereas they just don't they just don't know, which is also a shame that that, yeah, the profession mm -hmm. isn't very diverse at a yeah. uni level. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's actually an important an important point that you raise, like, because maybe it might not necessarily come into their mind. So for example, I said about the lecture, like I did email like to say, you know, maybe you could include this. And usually they're very like receptive and willing to start like making these small changes. So I had quite positive feedback when I like asked about, you know, including things like that in like future lectures, maybe for upcoming years. And so I just think that could be a good way. Like it's obviously a really small step, but it's it's a good thing to start incorporating it to just say it no matter what. Like it doesn't matter if you have a person who needs that to be said in your year or you don't like it's going to be said because somewhere in the world people are like that you know what I mean like say someone mm -hmm. in your group didn't have a beard but you're still going to mention you wear beard coverings like no one in our school has a, a beard but you still say it because these things happen in life so yeah, it should definitely. it should be acknowledged yeah, but it's definitely. The same. Yeah. I think also like just raising awareness to other students as well like I've had students like peers that didn't know what Eid was didn't know what Diwali was and for me I was shocked that they didn't know because we learned that in primary school if not secondary school I'm sure but just stuff like that I was shocked that people didn't know what those things were and I don't know if you guys are the same like had friends or peers that just hadn't been exposed to stuff yeah there's it is just a big like cultural shift and even from yeah somewhere else, like North London and I think that also really started to get to because I was like I act very different with my uni mates to how I act with my friends back home and like I went to right before lockdown when I went home at Easter I went to um, a Caribbean like music and comedy night and with my mum and I came out at the end of it and I was just like I couldn't have taken like 
most of my friends from uni to that because they would have been like what the hell like and just being so like uncomfortable and out of their comfort zone mm. um was like all of my friends from back home they'd be like yeah whatever yeah um even even though that's not their culture even though that's not them um so yeah I change a bit and I think I've been very aware about trying to not do that so much recently mm. uh, but one of one of my like best mentors has always said that it's sort of like a chameleon effect where you, you blend in I think I felt a, a lot like that in first year especially and I think for me as well I found that even though my expectations are still studying in London so a lot of my friends still went to universities in London as well so things like Brunel and Queen Mary and places like that where they've got such a different populace of students um, compared to to the <laughs> RBC and um the and yeah and I think I guess it kind of then reaffirmed for me at that point that actually it wasn't about necessarily where I was but it was the profession it was yeah. just you know you're having people that are coming in off the basis of coming from maybe more rural areas or more agricultural background as well and if they're coming from smaller towns and cities outside of London and coming down to London they're not necessarily you know it's a sort of a certain level of kind of street smarts as well as mm-hmm. um like just kind of understanding the cultures and where they're coming to and so I felt the same you know you'd have people that would say things or do things and you'd be like eh, I don't know if that like <laughs> yeah if that kind of goes down here like not, not really sure but then but then also it's whether or not you felt confident in saying something if something was said or was done especially in first year because everyone's just trying to be nice and everyone's just trying to get to know each other and this isn't talking about anything that's so dramatic as you know people being overtly discriminatory or anything like that but people might just make passing comments about things or try to be humorous and you'd never really feel like is it your place to say something because if I say something now does this make me really stick out as being this you know person that's just trying to kind of cause trouble or do I just kind of just fit in for the meantime because you know in the long term it means I get to stay friends with these people. It means that I get to, you know, enjoy my first years of uni. But I'm like similar to you, Nicole. I think now, and I think especially with what's gone on in the past few months as well, um, and maybe just getting older and, and just kind of adapting to the course and things, like those sort of things don't really bother me. And you kind of have to remember what your values are and who yeah. you are as a person and, you know, how how you've been brought up and actually what's right and how people should be treated. Um as well from 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 different walks of life um and also not being afraid to educate other people when they actually have said something wrong i think that's something that everyone's hopefully has probably got a lot better at especially in the past few months yeah and i think people are a lot more receptive and open to it at the moment as well which is Mm. yeah which makes it a lot easier yeah so i guess in light of all that who did you guys who kind of inspired you to become vets for me um so i grew up with a lot of weird and wonderful animals um so my dad worked at a lot of pet shops and stuff when he was younger and um we kept um a lot of animals we had like a little setup in our back garden so if you imagine like a mini zoo in a a garden in north london (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and we kept all sorts of things as i was growing up and so we had um so things like birds of prey and then we had reptiles and you know it was it was it was quite intense but over over the course of years as i was growing up so i kind of had this animal gene i think um as i was growing up and i always knew that i 
was interested in animals. I was also really, really interested in doing art and having a more of a creative side of things as well. And so it kind of got to a point when I was in secondary school, you know, you kind of in year seven, year eight, and you see all these things, you're like, I can do absolutely anything I want. Like, um, I could go and be be on the West End one day, but then I could be a scientist the next day. So that sort of thing. Um, and then eventually I kind of whittled it down to like, I definitely want to work with animals. Um, I really do like the sciences and I also like my art. So I was kind of still in a deliberate, like deliberating a lot up until the point that I decided that I was going to do veterinary. Um, but I think for me, it was, it was semi that typical, like I've liked animals since I was <laughs> however years old. But um, yeah, I think the big, a big factor for me was um, the interactions I had when I was growing up with my dad. Yeah, no, I definitely had that. I like animals being really young but I never had that like oh, I wanted to be a vet since I was four or since I was four <laughs> since I was a fetus or whatever you get yeah. <laughs> um, and I definitely didn't I definitely didn't grow up on like James Harry and stuff like that mm. um and I initially like my first actual memory of what I want to be when I was older um I wanted to be a social worker because that's what my mum does by trade um and she was like absolutely not it's horrific <laughs> and then I wanted to be a police officer and then I wanted to be a backing dancer mm, nice. um, and then I got really into music I played saxophone so I wanted to do that for a bit and then I have absolutely no idea I don't remember the point at which vet <laughs> became an option but it was probably in like year 10 when we had to mm. pick up a super work experience and it stuck mm. um but again it was a similar I like animals I like the science um but yeah, there was never any like definitive role model for me. Um, like obviously, I had role models growing up, but there wasn't anyone Betty. Um, so yeah, I I really don't know how I ended up here. Again, I, it's probably like a lot of people say, out of stubbornness because somebody told me I couldn't get into vet school. Yeah, exactly. My career advisor was like, no, like you're no, AS enough, really. um, yeah. like you shouldn't even bother applying and I've been like nope <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> here we are <laughs> yeah I got a similar I, yeah I think I'm quite similar as well yeah I've had a lot of pets growing up I knew I really liked animals and then when it got to about year 10 or 11 when you have to, I think yeah year 11 when you have to pick a levels kind of thinking oh so what what am I gonna pick I kind of like science and I definitely want to do something with animals so mm-hmm. I guess yeah that is all right and then I got told yeah we had a careers thing like I think they talked to you about like with your parents what what do you want to do at uni like what do you think you might apply for and I said veterinary and the first thing they asked was what's your backup plan Mm. I was like um I don't know so I think I said something else and they were like yeah maybe you should apply for that instead and then I thought about it I was like I don't think I want to do that really <laughs> so then I think yeah at the same I was very stubborn was like right I'm just gonna get more and more work experience and like basically mm. prove them wrong and also I did enjoy it so yeah that's good yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess for me it was I guess, I'm not sure I really had a role model because yeah there, there weren't that many people I knew who were vets so I think mainly it was my parents they were born in Kenya so like all my family is basically like lives in Kenya like my extended family and everything so whenever we'd like go back home like and visit home that's where we'd go and obviously Kenya is like the wildlife capital of Africa like this 
amazing. Like, so whenever we went, you know, I'd go to like the giraffe feeding like reserves and stuff, and we'd go like see the orphanage for the elephants, and we go on those like mini, you know, like not quite a safari because those are really expensive, but like the <laughs> nature reserves that they have, um, the national parks, and we'd see like zebra and obviously and everything like lions, and yeah, it was amazing. And like my dad, like he's loved. Like my mum had so many pets growing up. She'd tell me about them and my dad loves wildlife like every time like if he wants to watch a documentary he'll be watching something about like the savannah or like Okavango, like just things like that so I'd watch it with him and yeah no I was just I think yeah I maybe you can tell that I love wildlife but yeah I, I think especially the way like it's captured nowadays and the mm. photography and just like the stories and the documentaries that you can access it's just almost there's nothing like it and I feel like that really inspired me I was like mm. nowhere will you find something this beautiful and you know like just be able to have like the privilege to be able to help these animals and yeah do something for them um so yeah I just thought it would be really cool again I I love science and I like to know how things work but at the same mm. time I also love animals so I wanted to combine like the academics with something practical and I feel like being a vet surgeon is like one of the best ways you can do that so yeah that was kind of my inspiration yeah I think it's quite good that we can see that there's that common theme that we didn't necessarily have a person that we looked up to where I think where you speak to some people and they have a vet that they did work experience with yeah that drove them to say that you know you should be doing this career and I think like similarly we probably all then also had that someone in in our school say to us maybe you should consider something else maybe you should look at other options or you know we've had some sort of blip um and that it's kind of more of a drive of our own experiences rather than and our own self-willingness to push ourselves to do it rather than someone saying you should be doing this career um which I think is that's quite inspiring in itself yeah Um, I heard um and it was sort of like role models doesn't necessarily fit everybody that well and particularly I think for us to break it down into role maps and role mirrors so you've got role mirrors who look like you there are literally people who you can see them they're there they look like you they've made it and then role maps who are a bit more flexible and it's sort of like a way of following the path and a more the traditional role model mm. um, and I really liked that because I remember there was a discussion on a Facebook forum and it was basically saying, why do Spain vet students need models that look like them? Like um, female vets, there's been a huge increase in numbers and now outweigh male Mm. vet students massively. And at some point there was no female vets to be role models for them. Um, And I remember somebody made the comment of, oh, my child really loves rugby and would count a rugby player as a role model whether they were black white um looked like them didn't anything and I think what that person really failed to grasp was that your kid has the option (laughs) like they have the choice like Mm -hmm. they can have a role model that looks like them or that doesn't because they exist um and that just doesn't at the moment and I think that's something that obviously is changing massively at the moment and it's great yeah. um especially for like young young ones out there with pets factor and stuff like that mm. um actually seeing that representation on tv but there's still this yeah revamp of james harriet and <laughs> sort of like all the big 
all the big names on like mainstream TV when the general public and when teenagers who are choosing their A levels are watching it, like they're not watching BBC, like they're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the people that they're seeing are James Herrier, The Yorkshire Vet, and Super Vet. And that is not diverse, not even in gender. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not representative of the vet it's schools not. now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And this thing, it's like trying to, I think you end up having this battle with people, which obviously has got a little bit easier now, but it was hard to get through to people before that there is a reason as to why, like you said, that we need to see people that look like us in these fields. Like, you know, we're not just saying it because we just want someone up there who's like, who, who looks up like, like us. We're not just saying it for the sake of it. It's because there is that relatability factor of yeah. they potentially have gone through some similar hurdles they have gone through some similar barriers if you were to sit down and have a discussion with them you know you might find that there are some cultural similarities and there's other ways of connecting to that person and their upbringing it's not just about where they've got to now it's that whole journey up until the point that they've got to um that means something to you um and actually can be your level of motivation and yeah having to explain that to someone you, you could say that to someone um that has not had to worry about, you know, not fitting into places and that sort of thing. And I'd be like, okay, well, they'll accept it. But, you know, but it's, it's a whole sort of thing about accepting that you might not understand it. You might not actually ever feel that way about that situation, but you should not invalidate someone else's experience and how someone else feels when they are, you know, trying to profess their, their lived experience of a situation. Yeah. I think there's like a different level of experience being a person of colour or a BAME student at university, there is a different experience that it's really hard to explain. Like I've read it in a few books. I know um, the Fly Girls Guide to University, Cambridge. Um, yeah. I don't know if any of you guys have read that book, but that just explains it so well in a way that I would have never been able to word just like the experience of just feeling like other. But if I tried to explain it to any white friends, I just... I just don't think they'd understand just because it's a lived experience that I don't I don't know how because they will never experience that ever mm. so so yeah. hard putting it into words and yeah like, people expect you to be so eloquent on like what you've been through and how it's affected you and reflect on it like it's a piece of coursework and you're like I can't I can't I can't get this across to you and a lot of the time I'm just too tired to I was like I don't know what I meant by that. I just did. Okay. <laughs> just said it. <laughs> and, um, I was going to say as well, I think another point I had down was about this sort of feeling inadequate about actually truly representing all BAME students. or Because I think, you know, we're, we're battling with the fact, fact that universities are realising and have realised that their BAME student populations are low. Um, but it then has fallen on a lot of us to be the voices um and trying to drive things to and drive change at the univer at the institutions and at the universities um but even then sometimes i feel like there should there should be someone else out there that you know i'm aware that i still potentially have had privileges more so than other people um even within in identifying as part of it, of, of this bane category and so i don't always feel like that i'm appropriate to be representing voices of, of other people and other people that potentially have had worse barriers to face than I have in certain situations as well um 
and it's unfortunate obviously that that's it's kind of one of those things where it's like that's the way that things are at the moment and they shouldn't you know we shouldn't be settling for it yeah absolutely I'm mixed I grew up with my mum who's white and like again it's a lot being like oh you are surveying speaking like no, no I'm speaking for me and that's all I can do because yeah. that is all I've experienced and the same as I can't make you understand my experience I certainly can't speak to other people's mm. yeah I think it's an interesting point when you say that kind of to what extent this culture kind of not form a barrier but more like an obstacle to to kind of be a part of professions or like study things that are not necessarily like seen as conventional um or like to what extent is it the university's job to persuade mm. people to apply and I think it's like it can be dangerous also to kind of just assume that it's all you know cultural like okay yeah, yeah there are some stereotypes where it's like okay you know some maybe some not even cultures but even just some like parents they might not see veterinary medicine as even though it is like as a very like difficult or like distinguished kind of profession or whatever like it's essentially medicine but for animals like it's literally the same thing you know but it's not really like out there as much Mm -hmm. so there's that to consider and also the university will of course play a part in that because I don't know what do you guys think like I think like it's a very it's a very tricky balance because on the one hand, yeah, it really depends on like the amount of support you get at home, for example, like if your parents are encouraging you to apply or if they're discouraging you, or if you feel like it's not for you, just simply because of your background. Or on the other hand, is it because you really don't see that inclusivity in the access that the vet schools do, for example. And so that kind of reinforces what is being said at home, maybe if, if you're kind of on the edge. So at what point, what tips the balance like? Universities have this responsibility, you know, they're they're actively recruiting students and they know who they're recruiting and know who they're targeting. So they should be aware of these factors um, and they should understand these things. And I guess it's hard to say that when actually you think of the makeup of the institutions and that, well, actually, you'd question, would they actually understand this? You know, they would have to have someone external or someone that identifies in these groups actually speak to them and say well this is what you need to be looking out for and again like universities I think after everything that's happened in the past few months are slowly becoming more aware there are a lot of groups say things like animal acid which we set up at RBC Um, but again that has been a student-led initiative to try and instill a change and get you know that's that's basically students that have experienced these things understanding that these barriers exist and then feel the need to ensure that it doesn't happen again to other people that would also be in that circumstance and there is a lot that the institutions are then having to learn from us I think and from our experiences but that also then means that they need to also be open to listening to the students and understanding those barriers and that way they know that then when they do their outreach and when they actually do events and they send out ambassadors and people you know they are equipped to be able to speak to parents and students and teachers and, and you know and other people at uh, other sort of career fairs and things um yeah. to have a better understanding of okay so you, this person wants to do vet med what what is their situation now take that I guess holistically into account as well and figure out how that then ties into where they that's to that application process and what more or less needs to be done to support someone because yeah. you know the way that the um, like the demographic of our of of the nation, the demographic of our institutions are changing constantly, you know, and universities are going to have to learn to adapt to, you know, accommodate these people. 
you can't just turn a blind eye to it yeah. yeah I agree I think it's a mixture of both I guess um like parents and school and university outreach um but I guess I think there's a lot of misinformation about veterinary as a general um like subject or career I think you know like you need 20 weeks of work experience and you're only allowed to apply like two times and they don't like it if you've done this or that um you have to do this oh yeah I, I can't think of any examples <laughs> off the top of my head but yeah it's just a lot of things that I don't know school will tell you or you hear through like online that the universities kind of just need to say okay this is what we expect from applicants just so student like school pupils who are applying know what they're what what they're gonna get at uni and yeah i think yeah i think vet school council is starting to address that with their sort of like guidebook which is yeah it's invaluable like i wish i had that because the main reason that i got told not to apply was that my aes grades weren't great and they were like oh you were getting with those but in reality vet schools only go off particularly grades and if it wasn't for the fact that my mum was a bit like "Mm, are you sure let's actually call them and ask i would have gone home with going well my career advisor who clearly knows has said this is what this is the truth and I would have followed that so I think that's like probably one of the fundamental failings of outreach up to now is that it's only ever targeted the school child um and in reality just running a session for the career advisors who are going to be telling Mm. them what the truth is and also trying to interact with parents because if you don't have that parental support it does become a lot harder um but having a one-off hour session or afternoon session with a kid who's like 15 isn't going to change that. You need that A, to build up and have multiple sessions as they progress through school, as well as touching base with people who are going to affect their life and affect their choices. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, I, I, I think that it's really, it's a good point that you say that you should have like vets there. Cause I don't know about how it was in your school, but in my schools, like, I don't, I can't even remember if we ever had, like, a vet come in even once. Like, we were always grouped with the medics and the dentists. Like, we were <laughs> healthcare. And I was the yeah. only person applying for vet med in my entire yeah, year too. sixth form. Same. So it's just like, well, what do you expect? Like, okay, if you want more people to get in, invite some, like, vets or, or like, put a category, like, bother to do the research. Like, it literally takes, it will take you and your team like no no time to add in an actual thing about veterinary medicine instead of just being like okay and medicine or like and this and oh and vet, oh yeah and vet med by the way and you have to do the BMAT and UK cat oh yeah and vet med as well and it's mm. just like firstly you know you, you need to say properly what it is so that it's considered a, like a distinct option in its own right like you would never be like oh yeah apply for medicine oh yeah and dentistry is that like it's it's a it's a own it's a thing of its own so I just feel like even though vet med is so it's so like it's such its own thing and it's so similar it's not it's not like treated as such like it's still treated as like a a package like oh yeah it's just part of the healthcare and if you're interested in it you basically have to like go off and do your own research like I've never met anyone who's just like passively falling into vet med like it's it's, you know I mean it's such a it's not even active yeah it's not even active it's more than active it's it's such a like it's such a conscious decision like you could you could never just fall into it like 
some people are just like passively going into medicine and stuff like it's such a choice and I just feel like that's a good thing because it says something about everyone who turns out to be vets but at the same time like there is a line you know it has to be more accessible so that more people can have that option opportunity to make that decision instead of just like a few like like you mentioned Stephanie like we are all privileged in some manner to even be able to have like applied and gotten in and felt like we could have so but even then I think it's it's like you've made like brilliant points about it because I do question because when you speak to other people and sometimes it actually is regardless of your gender or race or or anything but you someone's had some advisor or some teacher that actually says to them oh at, at a crucial point of your studies and like more often than not it is at your a levels i was similar to nicole like my as levels i had a bit of a like tumble with those and i just had to buck up my grades if i actually was going to consider doing vet med and i was quite lucky that i had um teachers in particular that were really willing to help me even if i was doing this research off my own back i could go to them and just talk it through with them because you know i was the first person in my family to go to university um my parents were supporting me, but probably could only do so much. Um, and I had one teacher in particular that would say, oh, I've got an email through from RVC. They've got this event on. Do you want to go to it? And, you know, and it's that and even that that's one person that cares. But it was enough to give me the confidence to keep pushing and progressing for it. It's a shame because I guess it does depend on your schools and it does depend on the areas and where you go whether or not these support systems are there for students. And that's some, in some cases, regardless of career. But even I had to recognize at a point that, you know, when we were all sent this template about how to write a personal statement, that wasn't going to fit what I needed to write for vet med. I needed it to be 70% about my work experience and the other 30% about what my interests were. I couldn't do it this sort of whole wishy-washy that these are all the books I've read and then this is all my transferable skills. But I had to talk about my lambing and how, you know, and all these other things that... Um, needed to be relevant and you know and find all this work experience as well work experience is a really big thing for vet med obviously and you know where you're where you're spending your holidays going off and finding placements whilst your friends you know are kind of kicking it back or doing other things you've got to make those sacrifices um <laughs> and you know i'm not saying that we need like all the credit in the world but i don't think you know when you're 15 or 16 there are big decisions that you're having to make for yourself and i felt quite under pressure when i had that conversation with my head of year being like am i actually going to do vet med is it going to happen like i don't know um and you, you kind of have to have like have a pair and be like you know actually i do want to do this i will do the work you just have to let me try and i think when you're in that weird stage of being semi like considered an adult but not quite um and having to battle with your school about what you're doing um like I, I, was, I was lucky I, I felt lucky that I didn't actually have to battle with my parents so much about it but it was just with certain teachers that you would have to try and profess that my predicted grades say one thing but my mind is saying another thing and I'm actually going to go and you know and try and prove you wrong but then again you shouldn't have to be saying that you're trying to prove people wrong you should be doing it for your own benefit but it feels like <laughs> you're putting, you're putting yeah. your you, yeah putting your fists up and having to have this battle um so it's really, really important that I think universities then also realise that schools are going to be different and, you know, there's going to be a level of where you will have schools that will want to come to you and it'd be absolutely amazing and interact with you, but you're going to have ones that you're just not going to reach unless you step foot in. Like you say, having a vet come in, I've gone back and done talks at my secondary school um, and I love it because I don't care that those kids, if none of those kids want to be a vet by the end of the talk, you know what, fine, but at least they've now considered a career that potentially 
um, they could see themselves doing. They've been spoken to by a previous student of that school. Um, and even then, if they are considering medicine and stuff, they, that's still feasible, you know, same way that if, if kids want to go to Oxbridge um, universities as well, you know, that's still feasible. Um, you shouldn't be setting yourself any lower than anyone else for any other reason. Um, actually, I did want to say something about, um, you know, the role that vet schools have. I don't know what, I mean, we have spoken about it a bit, but what do you guys think in terms of like, how important is it? Because you mentioned that, you know, a lot of you guys have like student run things and often it's the students that have to take the initiatives time and time again, just to get the ball rolling. And it's like, that's all well and good. And then maybe if it happens from like the roots up, that's also great. But to what, at what point does it become like, something that's like a realization like that the the people in charge or like the people in governing roles or the people that are like the higher academics at what point does it become like not enough for everything to be student-led and them to have like some sort of a paradigm shift maybe like because it's not it's not even like we need to yeah it's not it's not like we should be um encouraging access for from all backgrounds for just for diversity it's more like we need people from different diversities because of what this profession is like it, it's literally like you're being a doctor for clients from all walks of life and you have to be a like it's not even an option you have to be a diverse group of um of doctors because otherwise how could you ever think that you could communicate with everyone properly how do you ever think that you could understand like everyone you're ever going to be dealing with if you're if you're largely one demographic I don't know what do you guys think like if it's it's more like not just diversity for diversity's sake but even just because you know it has to be that way like if all human doctors were one demographic it would never work which is yeah it's kind of like why do we even question it why why do we yeah. even think that it's not the norm I think uni's from my experience can be quite reactive and that's really frustrating um so it's like, oh, something got kicked, so we now have to wear hard hats. Or mm. um, a girl in my year committed suicide, so now we're going to have counselling on site. Or George Floyd gets killed, so now we're going to talk about diversity. And it's like, why couldn't that have happened first? Yeah, prevention. Like, exactly. So what? everything's a reaction to an event. And mm. it's really frustrating to see because it's not like it didn't exist before yeah yeah i think recently as well um yeah in light of um george floyd especially and black lives matter like um i think yeah then the uni kind of thought oh something needs to happen mm. and at bristol we did uh anonymous survey just asking for responses from students about racist experiences and the results we got back were so shocking and all the staff were so shocked they were like didn't realize this was happen that this was happening like it was happening all all along and no one no one ask. knew yeah no one had <laughs> asked that was the thing yeah. which is such a shame because I guess I probably thought it was kind of normal like standard you know didn't think that oh actually I can do something and we can change something that happens um yeah. but also the point that you said about kind of staff helping and students helping like I feel like yeah, because I'm on the Vet Society Committee at Bristol for EDI, so Equality, Diversity and Inclusion. So I do a lot of stuff with that. But then there has to be a point where 
like I'm studying for a degree we're all studying for a degree that's why we're at uni there has to be a point where it's kind of like actually staff need to be able to help us a bit to implement some changes higher up because we can suggest ideas as much as we want but if no one then forwards them on higher up what what can we do there's nothing that we can do as students to make those changes higher up that will affect like future years lower down that's true and it's also even just you know it's for current students and students beyond like you know we're all in sort of the final years of our degrees now and there's going to be an expectation of what support do we get that when we are moving and becoming alums of our respective universities and we're actually going and facing their careers as well um and I put a little note here um, to like, because I think when universities, they have relied on us a lot of students to share our experiences because we had um, a need to sort of fulfill this sort of intrinsic sense of belonging that we wanted. And um, we've we've shared that. And a lot of us have shared that, especially with respective like E&D committees and other groups and, and people higher up. And now it's this asking of like, right, well, we've shared all that we can share what are you going to do about it now? Um, which is really, really important. And um, yeah, it can be, it can feel a little bit frustrating when these things aren't getting through to them. But like you said as well, like we we did a similar thing and we like surveyed people and a lot of the stuff came back, especially about um, placements and, you know, yeah. discrimination based on placements and how seriously a lot of this stuff is dealt with, as well as some things that have occurred within the universities themselves. And, you know, universities have policies on discrimination um, in general anyway for workplaces. It just seems that the veterinary profession as a whole, it just kind of seems things are just a little that little step behind other professions. Um, and it's just now that we're taking those like little baby steps. And, and like Nicole was saying, it has been a lot. It has a lot. Of, it has been um, really, really reactive in the first instant, instances. And it's just this sort of slow learning curve now of, okay, right now we're going to try and put our foot down and have these sort of preventive me- preventative measures in place. But it's kind of like, it's a little, it seems like it's a little too late, but then also actually, if it means it's going to be better for students that come in the future, then fine. And the fingers crossed that it does stay for as long as it needs to and it's run effectively as well. There's no point putting these things in place if there's no one to man them effectively yeah. or they've not had the right research or, you know. Yeah, I agree. I guess, yeah, I I do you see how the unis are quite reactive but then at least yeah it will benefit someone in the, like some a lot of students in the future um so it is a positive thing that they are at least listening now to students stuff like that especially for placements I feel like placement is such a big one for vet students yeah. specifically yeah did you guys find it difficult getting like work experience slash EMS and stuff like based on where you live or yeah there aren't many farms in North London not gonna <laughs> but you've got to be inventive with it and I think yeah I think it does it does prep you like you do have to be inventive like I went on a lambing course for farmers that was like a two-day course and I was like this will do it's <laughs> just a, like it's like a short sharp course on like how to do it all while I'm spending two weeks freezing that's a, a good shop. idea yeah, that's so that's cool I I did a similar thing I did like the lambing day like the RVC when they did up at the farm and um I managed to yeah, managed to arrange it, and I literally it's literally just a day, and I was like, well, at least it was experience, you know, like it's it's fine. I'm not gonna be yeah, like I was similar. I'm not gonna be able to go to a farm like 
I'd have to get my parents to drive me probably and then how comfortable do you feel if you have to stay somewhere mm. it's not yeah you don't have those networks already set up yeah I was gonna say that. Yeah. yeah it's always like someone who knows someone who yeah who yeah. will lend you a hand <laughs> or like you own a farm yourself and I'm like I know <laughs> the farm down the road also needs help yeah, yeah. I literally had to look in the yellow pages when I was starting <laughs> off in work experience because nothing would even come up on google I'm not even joking really? like I'd be like dairy farm blah 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 nothing will come up then I one day I looked in the yellow pages and they were all there and I was like oh wow so I just called up and like it was just such I've never had to be more inventive than when I'm looking for work experience and obviously yeah. then when you know it's there it's like oh oh my god it was there that whole time and like it's thriving and this is a great place but it's just it's just finding like digging up these places that is mm. also another it's quite it's another hurdle that maybe is also kind of like unnoticed but yeah. Only when you start to actually like do the work, then you realize, oh, wait, there's something else. Like, I don't actually have all these contacts. But that's yeah. the great thing then about like having people, obviously, that you can go back and talk to is that if you've done it or other people have done it, then, you know, you can pass it down. You can be like, yep, I know this great farm here and this here. And it just makes things so much more easier and accessible. And like, it's not every step is like hard work. work. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's like, yeah. it also gets you some like, great placement so. it does yeah I think as well it's strange now because I think about the experience like how I felt going to placements and things when I was younger and kind of had less inhibition about just turning up at somewhere and being like hello like come to do work experience with you like uh, I'm looking forward to it versus in vet school as well well obviously there's obviously a bit more pressure that you're in a bit more demand because you're seemingly more useful with your knowledge and that sort of thing and also you um also have like different expectations of what's needed to be done of you but then I think um like touching on sort of the stuff that had come out of those surveys about you know people's experience of discrimination and things on placement from my perspective like I feel that I've gone to placements and I've not worried so I've not had to worry so much about um being like I can't think of times where I've actually been outrightly discriminated against my placements but it doesn't stop me from thinking that something might happen um and this is something that I've always kind of questioned in terms of you know when we talk about sort of reporting systems and things like that there isn't anyone that I can speak to probably other than my mother um who could probably relate to these sort of things about what happens if I turn up and they treat me differently or I expect or I think that they might say something about me because they there's this brown girl's kind of stepped onto their on their doorstep you know might not look like their typical student um are they going to treat me differently even though I might have the same work ethic I've got the same training as someone else um and even though it probably it, like I don't feel like it's happened yet it doesn't stop that feeling of like uh, you know is something going to be said here it, you know and especially I think there was a lot of um feedback from people about that had gone on to farm placements particularly or if you have you're with people that have maybe more traditional <laughs> views on things you know or are not quite in the 21st century with things um and that can be something that I think you're quite naive to when you're sort of pre-uni work experience it doesn't seem like such a problem because I think they probably just think because you're quite young um but it's definitely a different dynamic when you're in vet school and then maybe you're attending placements and things as well yeah I think also just maybe think about names because I think like when you're like oh brown girl's just like walked up on your doorstep I feel like the shock gets people sometimes as well because like my name's Nicole Regan and I've got a London accent and yeah. it's like nothing like suspect on a CV yeah. or on an yeah. application 
Yeah. I don't I don't send a picture beforehand either. I know oh. we used to have replacements, so they'd be like, send a picture. But I I'm like, really consider it because I'm like, yeah. should I give you warnings? Like, yeah. <laughs> Will it let you adapt to the time? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm always in two minds about it. Yeah, I've always thought like, are they surprised when I turn up? Because obviously my name, the same as you, like doesn't seem particularly of any ethnicity. So I don't know if they kind of get a shock like, oh, okay, that, was, that wasn't what I expected from the email. Yeah. I also find people are really shocked that my mum's white as well. I don't know why. Yeah, what's the fascination? <laughs> and I think I think maybe it's because my my surname, my mum's name, and they expect it to be my dad's name. Yeah, no, it's strange. And I think also it just is, does depend on where you do experience because, like, I'm I'm talking of experience that I've done more more so in and around London. I think the furthest I went for placement, so I did a big placement in Glastonbury, and the family that we stayed with were super lovely and like we went around my, my me and my friend went and we stayed around the area and it was so so nice and like it was absolutely fine versus like I did a lot of my lambing was done um at a farm in Epping like in Nazing and um I feel like that farmer because of where he is he probably would have been exposed to lots of students from all walks of life being in that location maybe versus a placement a bit further afield than London um obviously and so the sort of conversations the maybe expectations at certain places might be different as well but then you know it's kind of you don't necessarily have that pre-warning of you know this is how you should you, you, not that you should have to go into places and be like this is how you should act and this is how you should sound and this is how you need to present yourself to be taken seriously like you shouldn't have to be sort of educated in that before you turn up somewhere you, you're there to do your job you know make up your your ahems or ems um and trying to do well and further your learning you shouldn't also have to face these other these other things as well mm. I think it would be nice if we maybe said what we want from the profession or what we want to see seeing as we're at the points that we're at particularly because you know we're not at a point of um we're, we're almost finishing and we probably have expectations of what it's going to be like when we actually go into vet med and actually start working um but what can institutions do and sort of the RCBS and other organisational bodies do to support diversity? So I think a, a big thing for me is that, you know, like we we have these projects and things that are starting and there's a lot of student-led stuff that's happening now to support students that are considering vet med as a career and trying to get people in. But I think the big thing, you know, that we're not, we can't necessarily focus on because we are students and, you know, we have to kind of devote our energy to certain things is that what is happening for current students and what is happening for students, especially going on into the world of work. Um, and we know that a lot of things have changed, um, sort of like policies, things like in the BVA and our CBS and Vet Schools Council. And it's great that these discussions are happening, but it's just that sort of not forgetting that you're now having to figure out the systems that are in place and are they adequate? Are they supporting the people um, that are currently going through these courses and what can be learned from speaking to people and speaking to students like ourselves and um, and even academics in the profession as well that identify as BAME? What can be learned from their experiences and how can we translate in that into effective action so that we don't fall into these hurdles and also that we don't lose momentum with this as well because it's really really important that this keeps going on this upward trend that it's going on at the moment yeah absolutely it's great to see talk and stuff from rcbs and bva and i don't know about everyone else but i'm i'm quite tired of talking 
<laughs> like yeah. I feel like okay, the profession as a whole might not be talking about that, but those of us who are actually affected by it have been talking and trying to make our voices heard for a lot longer. So it really is time to actually see some action, and I think it's going to be fab with Mandisa. I can't wait. <laughs> um, Agreed. But yeah, to actually see like see like some tangible results would be great. But it's been, I think, this summer has been a kick up the arse for a lot of groups, and it's been really nice even just to see like my peers and people in my year actually come out in support, and just like send a message being like, "How are you doing?" or like a little BLM march and it's just like revitalizing yeah I think I would really like to see visibly like a more diverse kind of profession so you know like in the prospectuses and in the, on the websites and everything that you look at when you're applying or when you're progressing it would be I would love to be able to see like people that look like me and from my background as well and yeah it would just be because yeah I probably know like one or two people in like the whole of the profession the whole of the academics and everything and even that is just because we're the minority that's why I know them so that would be really great and also obviously leading on from that more people in general like a more diverse body coming into um, vet school would be great as well. Yeah I think just everything that you guys have said um I definitely agree with all of that. I think, yeah, definitely keep keeping momentum, um, especially within vet schools, because all of us won't be at vet school for much longer. So having, I guess, more students who are keen to do stuff within the uni to keep it going, um, but also, I guess, at a higher level, just, um, yeah, more representation and just, I guess, awareness of it, especially within the veterinary profession. Thank you for listening to For The Record. Join us next time for more insights from underrepresented voices within the veterinary professions. If you would like to get involved in future episodes, please contact the RCVS Knowledge Archives team by email at archives at rcvsknowledge.org.